part one chapter seven of the uttermost star this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the uttermost star and other gleams of fancy by frank w borum a box of perfume the smell of things the smell of things what a box of perfume this old world of ours is to be sure i was reading only yesterday mr e v lucas's essay on rupert brooke mr lucas turns aside to chat entertainingly about his own tastes and fancies i find he says that on my list of loves scents would take a very important place the scent of gorse blossoms rubbed in the hand and then crushed against the face the scent of geranium leaves or the leaves of the lemon verbena the scent of pine trees the scent of unlit cigars the scent of cigarette smoke blown my way from a distance the scent of coffee as it arrives from the grocers the scent of the underside of those little cushions of moss which come away so easily in the woods the scent of lilies of the valley the scent of oatcake for cattle the scent of lilac and for reasons above all perhaps the scent of a rubbish fire in the garden richard jeffreys has a notable passage of which this forcibly reminded me there ain't nothing he makes his old gamekeeper say there ain't nothing to compare with the smell of the woods you should just come out here in the spring and sniff up the scent of that there oak bark it goes right down your throat and preserves your lungs as the tan do leather and i've heard say as folks who work in the tan yards never have no illness there's always a smell from the trees dead or living and i could tell what wood a log was in the dark by my nose the air is better where the woods be there's the smell of the earth too especially just as the plough turns it up it's a fine thing and the hedges and the grass are as sweet as sugar after a shower but enough of this i did not set out to catalogue the perfumes in the box but to philosophize about them and especially to ask myself the reason for their presence there for only this afternoon i was sitting with some friends upon the lawn itself an odorous place telling of the holiday tour from which i have just returned in doing so i was impressed by the way in which memory revived and description became easy whenever i chanced to mention the smell of things the smell of the bush the smell of the earth the smell of the hay the smell of the hops the smell of the hedges the smell of the gardens at every such reference the beauty of the landscape rushed back upon my mind in vivid detail and the tongue set off afresh with its pleasant task of reminiscence i have noticed the same thing before we have all noticed it as walter savage landor told us a hundred years ago sweet scents are the swift vehicles of still sweeter thoughts and nurse and pillow the dull memory that would let drop without them her best stores they bring me tales of youth and tones of love ah to be sure tales of youth as a small boy i was sent to a private school for a year or two to prepare for the public school to which i went later i do not know how long i remained there i possess a history book bearing my name and the date in the schoolmaster's handwriting this proves that i was there at the age of seven 
but as only the earlier pages are marked i conclude that i must have left for the larger school shortly thereafter it was often a matter of regret to me that i could recall so little of my first school the whole thing seemed to have departed from my mind i remembered only the exterior of the building the death of the schoolmaster and a few very hazy impressions but one day more than twenty years afterwards i was crossing a field and detected a peculiar odour it arose from a plant upon which i had just trodden instantly the old school stood out before my mind as though i had only left it that day before the porch the schoolroom the desk the huge globes in the corner the maps on the walls the piano the blackboard and a hundred tiniest details rushed to mind one after the other and have remained vividly there ever since the plant on which i had just trodden grew on the green bank behind the school and we boys used to press the leaves in our hands and inhale the fragrance that distilled from our scented fingers when poring over our lessons later on i had never come across a plant of that species through all the years that intervened i must have seen a thousand sights and heard a thousand sounds that should have opened the floodgates of memory yet they had not the magic power their open sesame was unheeded but the spell lurked in the scent of the grass and thanks to it my old school is now clearly photographed upon the tablets of my memory here then is a singular thing this connection between a breath of perfume and a wave of memory it does not of course always work out pleasantly no law does one is reminded of dickens in his early days he lived through a dismal and humiliating experience he earned his living in a blacking factory my work he says was to cover the pots of blacking first with a piece of oil paper and then with a piece of string and then to clip the paper close and neat all round until it looked as smart as a pot of ointment from an apothecary's shop during that year or so he himself has no notion how long it lasted his misery was so intense that to the end of his days he never referred to it he worked from early morning until late at night and could only manage to live on his meagre salary by dividing it into six little parcels marking each parcel with a day of the week and steadfastly refusing to break into saturday's parcel until saturday came when the hunger was unendurable he used to take a turn at covent garden and stare at the pineapples sniffing up as he did so the flavour of the faded cabbage leaves that everywhere littered the place close to the cellar in which he worked was a hat factory which emitted an odour peculiarly its own in due course the boy was delivered from this abject and degrading phase of his existence but the memory of it haunted him like a spectre from that hour until this at which i write he says in a letter written many years afterwards from that hour until this no word of that part of my childhood has passed my lips from that hour until this my father and my mother have been stricken dumb upon it i have never heard the least allusion to it however far off and remote from either of them i have never in any burst of confidence with any one my own wife not excepted raised the curtain i then dropped thank god and he tells us that to the close of his life 
whenever he caught the smell of decayed cabbage leaves the smell of hat-making or the smell of blacking a shudder ran through his frame as he recalled his early miseries i never had the courage he says to go back to the place i could not endure to go near it for many years when i came near to robert warren's in the strand i crossed over to the opposite side of the way to avoid a certain smell of the cement they put upon the blacking corks which reminded me of what i once was the novelist's bitter experience is very suggestive the sight of hats blacking bottles or cabbage leaves seems to have had no effect upon him but the smell of any of them almost paralyzed him besides this painful illustration relating to charles dickens let me lay a pleasant illustration relating to george gissing i know men he makes henry rycroft say i know men who say they had as leaf read any book in a library copy as in one from their own shelf to me that is unintelligible for one thing i know every book of mine by its scent and i have but to put my nose between the pages to be reminded of all sorts of things my gibbon for instance my well-bound eight-volume millman edition which i have read and read and read again for more than thirty years never do i open it but the scent of the noble pages restores to me all the exultant happiness of that moment when i received it as a prize or my shakespeare the great cambridge shakespeare it has an odor which carries me yet farther back in life for these volumes belong to my father and before i was old enough to read them with understanding it was often permitted me as a treat to take down one of them from the bookcase and reverently to turn the leaves the volumes smell exactly as they did in that old time and what a strange tenderness comes upon me when i take one of them in hand so true is it that the smell of a thing is the soul of that thing it is the one vital essential element about it the sight of a thing may kindle my curiosity the sound of a thing may arouse my interest but the smell of a thing in some subtle and elusive fashion of its own avoids all formal avenues of approach and takes possession of all the chambers of my mind at once i wonder why let us go back to the wilds and the woods again and here in the wilds and the woods let us introduce each other to two of the citizens of that romantic country men who have been taken into its confidence and initiated into its secrets here is captain c h stiggard a big game hunter and here is frank buckland the celebrated naturalist let us take the captain first he has written a delightful book on hunting the elephant in africa and oddly enough he touches on the very point that we have been discussing i believe he says i believe the sense of smell is in much more direct connection with the brain than is the sense of sight even with us human beings who have lost this sense to a great extent there is nothing like a scent to suddenly and vividly recall forgotten memories a sound or sight will appear familiar but the mind will generally have to grope after what it recalls whilst with the scent the memory is an instantaneous flash 
perhaps this then is the reason why the duller-witted beast responds so much more quickly and is so much more affected by the sudden noxious smell of a human being than he is by sight now this proves if it proves no more that the strange law that operates in man operates no less powerfully among his poorer relations in the field and the forest and it goes farther it alleges that the nose is in much more direct communication with the brain than is the eye and it is at this point that mr buckland comes to our aid and deals with the same point in greater detail in the head of a deer he writes we find three sentinels which are given to the animal to warn it of danger from its enemies these sentinels are the nose the eye and the ear he then proceeds to describe the formation and mechanism of each of these organs and finishes up by comparing them i place he says the organs of sense in the deer's head in the following order of development and use to their owner one the nose two the ear three the eye these facts may be useful to deer stalkers who if desirous to approach a suspicious deer should run the chance of the deer seeing them rather than the chance of his hearing them and above all they should avoid all possibility of the deer getting notice of their presence by the organ of smell now all this is very interesting so far as it goes but obviously it does not go far enough and it is just at that point at which i feel the insufficiency of all these teachers that a still more skilful master comes to my aid does the new testament say nothing about the odors of life in dr moffat's fine translation i find paul speaking of the knowledge of christ as a sweet perfume it is a pregnant and suggestive phrase you would not compare other knowledge to a perfume but the knowledge of christ is different it is intangible indefinable inexplicable inexpressible you can no more describe it than you can describe the odor of violets for that matter you can never describe the best things in life to a man who has no sense of smell how would you describe the perfume of roses or baronia or lavender to a man with no spiritual vision how would you describe a conversion a conversion is simply the response of the soul to the sweet perfume of christ just as my recollection of my old school was the response of my memory to the perfume of the harrow leaf i know that moving along some subtle avenue between my nose and my brain the odor of that leaf quickened into vigorous life the slumbering faculties of my memory although i can no more explain how it was done than i can fly a man need feel therefore no sense of shame when he has to confess his inability to explain the potent smell of that lovelier loftier fragrance a persian fable says one day a wanderer found a lump of clay so redolent of sweet perfume its odor scented all the room who art thou was his quick demand art thou some gem from samarkand or spikenard in this rude disguise or other costly merchandise nay i am but a lump of clay then whence this wondrous sweetness say friend if the secret i disclose i have been dwelling with the rose wherever i go says paul i scatter the perfume of his knowledge everywhere 
i live for god as the fragrance of christ breathed alike on those who are being saved and on those who are perishing i began by saying that this lovely old world of ours is a box of sweetest perfumes i close by showing that the richest and choicest aroma of them all is diffused not by scented shrubs or fragrant flowers but by noble beautiful gracious lives End of part one, chapter seven.